Welcome to Casual Watch Talk, the podcast from the Casual Watch Reviewer YouTube channel. Join us as we talk everything watches from watch collecting, the latest horology news and interviews. If you're not already subscribed, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Let's dive into the show. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 33 of Casual Watch Talk. Today's episode is going to be something of a Seiko special because Chris and I are joined by Todd, who is a member of our Facebook group, but also was one of the original podcast guests that I had on when I was when I was flying solo before Chris, <laughs> the B- BK before nice, Chris. Nice, nice. So, uh, Todd, I'd love it if you could just introduce yourself very quickly for anyone that uh, wasn't familiar with that first podcast. Sure, sure. Thank you very much, Sam. It's it's a pleasure to join you and Chris. But uh, yeah, I've been collecting uh, watches just only for a few years, three or four years. But I'm a I'm an engineer, uh, and therefore that means when I get into something technical, I can't help myself. So I've been digging and digging and digging into this, and I, I especially like chronographs, and um, uh, and so I've been collecting that primarily for this this length of time and i specialize i guess or what in, interests me most are seiko chronographs from the uh late 60s and, and early 70s primarily cool and we've uh foregone the uh wristwatch check because everyone knows the six watches that sam and i own but uh i think it looks like you got the uh hamilton on there todd yeah good eyes yes i have uh i bought this new when hamilton reissued the pan europe line of chronographs back in 2014 no, it was before that, but I bought this in uh, 2015. Uh, and so I've had this for about, I guess, what, it's almost five years now or, or so. And, and this thing still keeps almost cost-like time. It's amazing. The Hamilton does a great job with the 7750s. They, um, you know, they kind of go and tweak them and make them a little bit better. And this thing, you know, plus or minus a couple seconds a day. Yeah, love the uh, love the old racing chronographs and certainly the new new vintage racing chronographs. Very cool. So my watch obsession this week is I 3D printed a uh, tourbillon movement, a uh, escapement, tourbillon escapement. And at first, wow. yeah, at first I was like, uh, I was reading the comments of this particular one and I put a link up to it in our, uh, in our Facebook group. And I was reading the comments of this particular one and everybody was like, you know, oh, it doesn't print right. And like the size is wrong. And I had to like polish it and all these like frustrating things. But one of the things that, you know, that I've been talking about with 3D printing is it's come a long way. And so I have a, you know, brand new 2020 3D printer that is uh, precision, you know, uh, you know, parts accurate as far as uh, size accuracy is very high. Uh, so I was able to print it out as a test and uh, and got it working pretty easily. So now I've um, I've upped my game a little bit. I've got one that uh, and I'll and again, I'll post pics, but uh I've got one that I printed out. Uh, I've got this like silver, bronze, gold, metallic filament that I picked up, and so printed one out in uh, you know in the basin silver and the and the um, balance balance wheel in gold and the you know different parts. It's cool. It looks it looks great, and uh, yeah, just uh, ticking away. So having some fun with that. It's a great sort of primer for understanding how they work, but also. I don't think I would be able to have assembled it correctly the first time had I not taken one apart, like I had taken a watch apart. <laughs> so, so like a little bit of watchmaker skill necessary there. 
to to get it going and to understand like oh the pallet fork is hitting and but uh yeah a bit of a watch obsession so uh getting a uh yeah 3d printed tobion worth you know what's it what's the cheapest one you can get probably like about 10 grand right doesn't tag make a 10 grand tourbillon not counting chinese stuff there's one out of china too. yeah and i i think i was looking at the federic constant does one that's uh that's like twenty thousand dollars of their line and i was like all right for so for uh a thousandth of the price <laughs> so is this the scale is this the right size or no no larger? this is yeah no it's huge it's it's large okay. yeah <laughs> I was wondering. yeah no wow yeah no no, it's a millimeter accuracy, a tenths of a millimeter accuracy, not thousandths of a millimeter accuracy. So that's good. <laughs> that's really cool. Todd, have you had a watch obsession this week? My watch obsession has been watch watch auctions, Sam. And <laughs> and what what sort of shenanigans go on as I've researched them more and more, as I've gone down the rabbit hole of of uh of what i thought auctions were and then what they really are is um is a lot different than i expected now i bought some some a couple of my vintage seikos i bought off auctions before i bought off invaluable before but none of these auctions make any claims necessarily and you've got to be you know you got to you've got to know what you're doing just like you do on ebay right ebay is is, is the great you know unknown uh, wild west of of all sorts of things. And so I bought, um, I bought recently in the Seiko folks out there will know a, a Tokizara, which is a 6138 chronograph off of um, Invaluable and at, at very little money. Uh, it was great. Actually, I couldn't believe I wanted, but uh, looking at the one that's been in the news lately off a very large auction house, Bottoms has been very, very interesting. Yeah, I think this is going to make for a great main topic, actually. We're going to, we're going to be doing a bit of a Seiko special. So we'll be asking Todd a lot about vintage Seiko watches, but also there's been a lot of news recently about this Bonhams auction. If you've been reading the Horology Press, so we're really looking forward to that for the main topic. My watch obsession this week has been not so much a watch, but I've been trying to I've been trying to restart the Casual Watch Reviewers website again. I've been working on it today, and I put a little note out on our facebook group casual watch talk if you're not a member then please uh, head on over there and apply for a membership we'd love to have you i've um, been asking a few members if they'd like to write the odd article or two about their own collection because my idea for the site is to have it where not only there's watch news but also watch stories from real watch collectors because i think certainly doing this podcast chris can attest to this and do my own YouTube channel. Some of the most fascinating stories about watches are not the specs and the history of the watch necessarily, but what that particular watch means to the person that owns it. So that's kind of been my watch obsession. It's been kind of watch content obsession. Cool. Week. Okay, we've got a couple of we've got a couple of news stories. I'll get everyone's opinion on these, and then as I mentioned for the main topic, we've got something of a Seiko special, which I, I know I'm certainly looking forward to. Three main stories here, and I'll have to start off with one that's been quite active on the Facebook group, is the new Fortis F43. Now, mm. normally a new watch from a company is, is it makes these, you know, it makes some news depending on what it looks like, but companies are releasing watches all the time. But Fortis are very rigid in their design language, I would say, probably. Mm -hmm. as rigid as maybe rolex they have a handful of 
lines they they try thing here and there but when you see a fortis watch there's no doubt that it's a fortis watch and mm-hmm. that's what made this exciting was this f43 as a kind of a departure so w- what did you guys think of this uh, watch i got the uh i got the email teasing it and then and then saw or the instagram the instagram tease and then i actually looked up the f43 what the f43 used to look well the old one the the previous model looked like because I believe they they there it's a new a new edition. This one's kind of changing the format for sure. It's not it's not sticking to complete, uh you know the Fortis uh, design language. I think that's probably because uh, Fortis was in trouble a couple years ago um, and then was purchased by uh, basically an enthusiast, an enthusiast who um, was really excited about the brand, bought it. Um, and then they, they, he had talked about, uh, I think one of his first sort of press releases was they were, they were talking about going all cost certified. Like that was, you know, that was the most important thing for people. And, you know, I felt, I think we talked about it on the pod. I think, you know, like, okay, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's one in the checklist, but not necessarily. This looks, um, so as far as the new F43 by compacts, um, uh, it looks really sharp. I don't quite know what to think about some of the changes in design. They've moved the date down. Um, and Fortis is known for that, um, the arrow on the date so that, you know, yeah. like to go up on it and mm. the day date kind of thing. And so that's gone. I'm a little like, mm, okay, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting design with the 12 hour bezel on it. Chronograph looks like, um, I don't know what movement it's powering, but, uh, it's got some green and orange loom colors. It, it looks, uh, it looks professional, looks, you know, tool watch aesthetic, but I do not understand the this is not a pilot watch marketing is that is that from them i think so yeah yeah so they're like this is not yeah. a pilot watch and then it says fortis flieger which means pilot watch in german <laughs> so, <laughs> so i don't I'm, I'm a little confused but okay all right cool i mean it you know it's got the and it has the telltale uh for you flieger folks it's got the telltale triangle and dots at the top which is actually the right. other way is the, isn't the triangle supposed to point down eh, anyway uh, um, so so it's got some interesting design cues. I think I think they're taking a new direction. Um, I think it's good. What do you guys think? Well, look at my, you can't see it, but if I pull my Hamilton up, this is just pure. It's exactly the same dial I have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With the date, with the date at the at the six. Mm-hmm. Date, the same sub-dial measurements. We're running seconds on the left and then a 30-minute totalizer Yeah, I would I would expect right. it to be running a 7750 probably. Because it's it, right with Fortis, it should be a modified seven seven five zero of some sort. Even has the same two lines. So I say Pan Europe caliber H thirty one, and they say F forty three by compacts. I mean, it's funny just how similar the layout is. Don't know what the design cue for the orange between the eleven and the one is, other than it kind of makes the makes the twelve pop. I guess oh, a little design there. I don't. Yeah, I don't know kind of what the reasoning is. Ten minute. I don't know. Yeah. And if there's, I mean, for me, like when you, if you're going for the tool watch aesthetic, that's great. Um, but don't put any colors or numbers or markers on there that don't make sense. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're going to say, if you're going to go for tool watch. <laughs> Next story I had was since the, um, the pandemic's been going on and a lot of the watch stores have been shut down. There's some things that we predicted would happen with the watch industry obviously sales of certain brands went down but there's been some interesting 
things that have occurred with people being at home is one is that the vintage watch market is is gone crazy but also watch pro did an interesting article where they interviewed um, mr wolf from wolf Watchwinders, and he had to shut the business down because of covid19 but what he's saying now is that sales were better than ever so i'm interested to know a from both of you whether you use watchwinders or not and b why do you think watchwinders are suddenly a hot commodity in this covid kind of world or post-covid world uh, okay i mean i'll jump on that one i have a old kind of style uh, watch winder i can't even remember who makes it um, it only goes in one direction so guess what it doesn't wind my 7750s right so counter counterclockwise then it goes counterclockwise then. one direction <laughs> yep. um it took me a long time to try to figure that out I'm like why is this not working <laughs> uh but i'm not a big fan of them uh, there's been if you go on on any of the uh, forums there's a there's almost a religious discussion political discussion on watch winders yes or no because you know, do you leave them on there? Do you not? If you've ever saw the Doctor Strange Marvel movie, of course, he pulls out the drawer and he's got everything on a watch winder, all these exotic uh, watches he pulls out. But the, the, but the drawer is uh, flat, it so it won't. The drawer's, the flat. drawer's flat, so it won't yeah. actually like wind any of those watches. But eh, yeah, I'm yeah, trying to figure that plot, out. Too, yeah. right? Wait, wait, <laughs> this doesn't work. Um, good point. But uh, so I never, I almost never use it as a result. I mean, my, it would work with my Seikos because they uh, had the magic lever, so they wind both directions, but. It's it's not a good to me as an engineer. Uh, it's not a good wear and tear thing unless you're going to just wear it all the time, or you're going to wear it, you know, like three or four days a week. You just want it to be fresh for you. That's one thing. But I would not keep a. It's like leaving your car in idle forever. You know, in a way, to me, it just doesn't it doesn't help this the the the, the mechanism itself uh, for longevity purposes. I don't know if anyone's done a study on this, but um, but some of the watch rebuilders that I, I you know, I've worked with have done have looked at uh, watch mechanisms, and they said, yeah, I could tell this one has been on a winder a lot, like like living on a winder. He said because he can pull out certain certain pieces of it on use of the winding bridge itself is just is trashed and is really um, moving around a lot. And so anyhow. That's that's my opinion. I went uh, I went super nerdy with it. So I you I have one that I actually built out of a um, stepper motor and super mm -hmm. nerdy sideline. This is like a in my Love Instagram it. like oh, so uh, I had picked up some of those uh, completely silent steppers and I was looking for a project to sort of start into stepper motors and so I picked up a Trinamic silent step you know driver. And I put it to the test because I was like, is it really silent? Because uh, it like those even those like expensive watchwinders, like if they have any sort of gearing in them, I mean, on the mm -hmm. nightstand, I'm like in in my bedroom, it's like cave mode. So no light must shall <laughs> shall enter and no sounds other than maybe like a fan on, you know, whatever. Um, and if the thing makes any noise, it would drive me crazy. So I was like, all right, well, if it's going to live in on the nightstand it has to be completely silent so that's the tangent i i have a one and i use it as a keeping the either keeping the everyday watch going for the for the next stint or spinning up something uh for for a future so i, I so i'm not the guy with the 15 i'm i'm the guy with the one and I mm -hmm. think about it like in my collection. So 
for example, so like if I knew I was going on vacation or if I, if, if I knew I was going for the, to the lake for the weekend or whatever, right? So I might take the time on Wednesday night to set the dive watch, get it all set up, get it dialed in, put it on the winder, and then come the weekend, I can just grab it. That's, that's how I use a winder. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I tend to agree. I feel like there's a little bit of the information out there, and you're absolutely right about it being religious. I think there are some people out there that are like, you will destroy your watch. But from a car perspective, not an engineering perspective, from a car perspective, let it run. I mean, I feel like, I feel like if the machine's running, that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to run. I certainly agree with you. Like if you're, if you're going to, if, if you've got a Rolex that's, you know, that you never wear because you don't want to scratch it and it's just living on a watch winder for six years, that's bad. Like, don't do that. Just let it, just like, if you're not going to wear it, then just let it, let it run down and, and leave it, you know? And then there's the other folks that are like, oh, well, the oils will get sticky. And you're like, sure. If your watch, if you're currently from the 1940s and you know, you're lubricating your watch with whale oil or whatever, but like we have modern lubricants. And so, and so I kind of, all the modern Bergeron lubricants are all, they're all synthetic. They're all, they're not, they're all. Yeah, everything's synthetic now. Nobody uses that stuff. Exactly. But I'm told that the modern lubricants, uh, instead of getting icky and and like almost like uh, oil spilly, yeah, it becomes uh, like, you know, 80 weight grease or whatever, uh, they outgas. Oh, okay. So, so the modern synthetics I've been told just watching some, some watchmakers talk about it is that they'll outgas. So you have to be careful about that. So instead of something getting gluey and stop running, it'll outgas and you lose lubrication and you start wearing parts. I mean, there's a materials engineering piece of this, a a lubricant engineering piece that has to probably be looked into, to your point. There's a materials engineering thesis in this. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, good, good stuff. Interesting, interesting. And then the last story I've got here, and I just only noticed this one, but Bolivar are releasing limited edition watches but they're not based on a film or on a famous sporting event or on a car or anything like that they're actually basing them on the famous uh, architect frank lloyd wright Hmm. i'm interested to get your thoughts on this i mean anyone who's not familiar with frank lloyd wright his houses are so iconic i mean there's that the falling water house that has the waterfall incorporated in the house there's he definitely had a design language on the East Coast and then he migrated, I think, with a mistress maybe over to the West Coast and then he had a renaissance over here trying mm-hmm. different building materials and things like that. First of all, I'm thinking, why aren't Swatch doing this? But second of all, what do you think about a, a limited edition watch based on an architect that probably doesn't resonate with a, a younger audience, I would say, or modern? Uh, watchmakers and, and car manufacturers have been doing this now for, for years and, and everything is retro-inspired. Yes. And I like that too, because I'm kind of a, Hey, I, you know, I was born in the sixties. So a lot of the things that I'm attracted to are popular, you know, sixties, seventies, what have you, but you know, and then, you know, Chrysler completely redone that right. In terms of coming up with, with models that are like some of their old muscle cars and, and Chevy's done it with the Camaro and we can go on and on. And so watches have done the same thing. In fact, again, like my Hamilton, it's a, it's a kind of a reprise of the 1970, 1971 uh, caliber 11 that it, that it co-developed uh, with uh, Buren and, and, and Hewer and, and company. But maybe they're trying to do something different. Maybe they're trying to come up with a new angle instead of, you know, I'd love them to bring the Accutron back to the space view. That would be incredible. That's what I thought these they're are. Not going to do yeah, that. yeah, that's what I thought these are when I glimpsed at one because one looks like it could yeah. be. Very technical, yeah. Yeah, maybe that's part of what they're trying to play with. But uh, Bolivar, I, 
you know, I don't know if they're searching for uh, an identity there. Um, I have one of their uh, Accutron 2s, one of their quartz, uh, their high-frequency quartz models. Oh, yes, yep. And uh, it's it's insanely accurate. Uh, but I don't know what would present me to go and buy a Bulova right now. I feel like it's I feel like it's very similar to uh, any of the um, Bauhaus designs, um, and you know where where they take that minimalist style. But but I think there are some other watches that you know have sort of expanded on that. I think I think even Swatch has done one. Uh, you know where they're actually taking. So I mean, the difference here is. I I feel like uh, there's some illustration on the dials that are that are mm-hmm. that are in the Frank Frank Lloyd Wright style, yeah. um, and right it's sort of a, a bringing that bringing that forward. The case uh, one of the um, on the uh, square or the rectangle case style is is pretty pretty cool looking, but uh, you know it matches. I think it matches the design. So I think they're they're pulling from that sort of uh, design language. I, I think it's I think I'd say it's similar to in you know being inspired by Bauhaus um which was very much an architectural style as well as uh you know a typography and design style so um more of the more of the architecture side interesting they're very reasonably priced so, so. i was surprised at that as well yeah they're sort of less than 500 dollars aren't they which the recent reissues that that bullet has done they've certainly their retail price has been more than that so yeah, I'm looking on the bull of a site and the one that's that uh, Chris mentioned, the uh, you know, the kind of tank mm-hmm. style, mm-hmm. Cartier tank yeah. style one with the uh with the design is it's two hundred dollars on the on the bull of a site. So that's very reasonable. Sam, I got another uh, quick story for you here. So we talked a uh, couple of weeks ago or last week about uh that Stova watch that I imported for my wife for a oh, yes. gift. She got it, she loves it. Great color. Uh, speaking of uh, speaking of Bauhaus design, based on that, um, and so the yesterday I got a bill from FedEx, and I was a little frightened because I was like, "Uh oh, what is this?" And it has Department of Homeland Security on it, and all this, all this, you know, all this official documents. And then I see like the third page is from Stova, and you know, it's detailing. But I was, I you know, so I flipped through it. And I'm like, "This is a this is a bill," and I'm like, "Gonna get." It was for. Uh, $21. And they give you the breakdown, which I found interesting and I wanted to talk to you guys about, which was, uh, so just to let you know, uh, for those of you stuck and in quarantine and making purchases from other countries uh, that you, Sam and I both agree that you probably shouldn't be doing, importing a watch from Germany. So you would think that the um, ETA elaborate movement, elaborate, 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 she got me. I'm the watch guy, and I don't even know how to say that. High polished. It's got the. It's got all the fancy stuff on the back. It's uh, you know, great looking movement. One dollar and fifty three cents. So that's how much they charge. So watch movement, bringing a Swiss watch movement into the country. Dollar fifty three. The more expensive part was the stainless steel case itself, for seven dollars and sixty four cents. <laughs> Which I found like I was like, wait, so they're charging me more to bring the stainless steel case than. Than the, than the movement that makes up you know most of the price of the watch and then some other stuff some other miscellaneous stuff for the for the shipping the handling and the and the strap i think uh the strap was uh to bring to import the strap one dollar and 58 cents so they broke down the sales invoice into the watch's component parts yeah so it has the harmonization codes for everything so it has like the individual 
harmonization code for each individual individual part. And I think because FedEx is their broker here, it seems like they it seems like they just they. Uh, I think this is an artifact back in the seventies uh, when there were tariffs placed upon importing uh, watches and such. And I think, if I'm remembering right, uh, that there's a difference in terms of importing a watch movement as opposed to a watch case, mm -hmm. which is why they are taxed at a different level. I think it goes back to some some tariff back in the 70s or 60s. It's just sort of carried over. It was kind of, I was terrified that I was going to get this <laughs> crazy because uh, not paying VAT uh, saved, a, you know, saved a ton of money. Uh, but then, you know, having importation, I was a little, you know, worried like, oh, what's this going to cost importation wise? So seems completely reasonable. Before we dive into our main story, which I'm really looking forward to, our sort of se Seiko... Hey, it's Chris from the Casual Watch Talk podcast. As our longtime listeners know, we often talk about cars here on the pod, and that's no coincidence. Like a lot of mechanical watch lovers, we're both into cars and racing. A couple years ago, I curated a collection of automotive-inspired straps and started the Campionato Club. Campionato Club watch straps celebrate the rich history of automotive liveries with their inspired colors. Available in a single-pass NATO, two-piece, and our new super-comfy elastic NATO, Check out Campionato Club on the web. That's championship in Italian, C-A-M-P-I-O-N-A-T-O dot club. Special here. Let's pause for a very quick ad break. Hey everyone, welcome back to Casual Watch Talk. So for our main topic today, we've got somewhat of a, a Seiko special here. And there's been a lot of interest in vintage Seikos, certainly in the last couple of months, and vintage watches in general, I would say. But something very significant happened with the Seiko vintage watches. There was a recent auction where Bonhams put up for sale an auction that was very specifically Seiko. In fact, the watches that are for sale are Seiko's greatest hits, I would argue. And there was a bit of controversy because the auction was listed and then it got delisted and then it's relisted it's still actively li actually live now so todd i'm really interested with your sort of passion for seiko first of all is this unprecedented that there's a totally seiko auction on a significant auction house like bonhams and also i'd love you to give us a bit of background on why some of these watches were quite controversial when they did go for sale the first time as far as i know I have not seen a Seiko-only auction before. Uh, certainly, they have come up on auctions. I've bought a couple on different types of auctions, but uh, they've never been highlighted in this way. There's never been this much publicity for uh, just, a, again, a Seiko-only auction from evidently a, a collector in Asia who has around 200 pieces, according to the auction site. So the one that Bonhams has listed is this the first part part one and there's going to be a part two i guess with whatever the the next lot is yeah the uh, it's called the bonhams presents making waves is the name of the auction you have to register on the bonhams website to get the full list but there's some spectacular examples there there's an olympic games one from mm -hmm. 1964 they've got the original 62 mas they've got a lot of the ones that sake has been recreating right up to modern ones as well the 64 Olympic uh, uh, stopwatch is exceptionally rare. I believe there's only a hundred known to have been made of that style, and so the dollar figures are are um, you know on up there with uh, you know rare Rolex 
Daytonas, let's say, for example, it's, I think they're predicting anywhere it was at $13,000 to $26,000. Yeah, there it is. Uh, you know, if you're a, a well-heeled Seiko collector, this is an opportunity to get some some very rare uh, watches. There's a 60, you know, 62 MAS. There's some of the rare divers. There's some of the rare chronographs on there, which uh, I do know cost some of that uh, consternation by the Seiko community when they were looking at them in detail and they said, wait a minute, this has got a bunch of aftermarket parts in it. And you're not saying that it has a bunch of aftermarket parts in it. Of the vintage ones, there are uh, some very good examples. There's also some questionable examples. Seems like also, uh, seems like also a lot of new stuff on there too. There's a lot of newer stuff with box and paper showing up. Uh, I got to like page three and I was like, oh, that's the, the JDM, the green, um, green turtle that they had mm-hmm. on there. Which is a so, which is not you know a nice watch if you yeah. if you want to grab one of those they're you know they're hard to get some of these JDM varieties. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Originally, when this was launched, there was obviously a lot of interest, particularly from I would say collectors like ourselves and people that listen to the podcast, friends of the Facebook group, people that probably watch my channel. Because normally, when we see a watch come to auction, we're talking the Paul Newman Rolex. Normally, the stories are wow, this. Rolex achieved mm-hmm. 17 million, or this rare Patek, uh, etc. Uh, you know, everyone's just waiting for the day when Buzz Aldrin's Speedmaster is suddenly you know pulled out of somebody's uh, loft or whatever. But this, because it, it focuses on Seiko and which is uh, was sort of the every man's watch, weren't they? Mm-hmm. It, it garnered a lot of interest, and I'm guessing that. Even Bonhams might have been surprised about how much the collecting community really knew about these references. Would you agree with that, Tardor? Yeah, I don't think that they were ready for just and you know just the collecting community response to this, as well as how fast it happened. Uh, because I'm a frequent uh, contributor on Seiko Citizen Watch Forum, and somebody opened up you know a, a thread with this on it. And then, you know, the it, it was like Niagara Falls comes down <laughs> of all the different uh, folks chiming in. Oh, this looks great. I can't believe it. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute. You know, this one, blah, 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 blah. This is not a right dial, blah, blah, blah. And they start going through it. And they say, we can't believe that Bonhams is selling, you know, basically Franken watches, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this, as this goes down, this, this thread in, in rapid progression, it was very interesting. Yeah. It feels like they, yeah, kind of kicked the hornet's nest a little bit. Like, who could possibly be, who could possibly be that invested, invested and interested in these Seiko, you know, these Japanese watches? They aren't, you know, they aren't fancy luxury watches. And then all of a sudden, you're like, you're like, oh, it's the internet, and there's a group for everyone. Oh God, <laughs> we yeah, know everything yeah. about every, you know, we know everything yeah. about this. So yeah, you're right, right. The Flat Earth Society went and jumped in too, and they said, wait a minute, you know, wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just. It's just the way things are. But yeah. but one thing I've been doing is I, I found out that, you know, most auctions and the ones I buy from, for example, uh, and I'll mention one of them invaluable, a lot of, uh, you know, 90 somewhat percent of, of what's being auctioned is re- rather regular, not necessarily special stuff. But what gets headlined, it's kind of like, you know, what does Ford want to advertise? Well, it wants to advertise the Ford GT and it wants to advertise, you know, the, the Mustang a Mach 1 reissue or, you know, or Corvette wants to do this or rather Chevy wants to do this as a Corvette. So what you see is a lot of the advertisement for the really high end stuff. Like they're really uh, bottoms is really, and rightfully so, you know, playing up the six, 1964 chronograph, but most stuff on these auctions, even these higher end auctions aren't necessarily super expensive. So Todd, I'd like, love to know if, well, well, two questions. Is there any that you've noticed that you think 
hidden gems in there. You don't have to say if you're going to bid on them or not. And then also, you mentioned about <laughs> a lot of the ones that had aftermarket parts. Did Is there a specific model that was focused on? And, and did that when they... Because I believe they delisted the auction and then they relisted it. Did, did you find that those watches were removed or have they been properly annotated? So I guess that's a two-part question. Was there one that looked like it really was a departure from its original? And is there any that you think on there that are sort of hidden gems? Well, uh, yeah, there's probably, well, they're not so hidden anymore with that with that wonderful uh, bit of, uh, of advertisement Bonham's got on this. I mean, is there, it, it, the old adage is, is there any such thing as bad news when you're trying to do something like this, even though I would argue that this was not good news. Um, but yeah, there's some, well, one of them, I am registered on this auction. I'll say that. And there's one I'm looking at, which I'm not going to talk about. <laughs> but, um, and so there, there are some, uh, there are some good looking watches there. Uh, there are estimates, you know, not counting, you know, the, the unicorns like the uh, Summer Olympic watch uh, are reasonable. Um, there's a group of us that keep track of uh, Seiko prices, specifically the chronographs, uh, how, how they're trading on eBay and that sort of thing. For that I'm looking at, the, uh, the Sushi Roll 5 Sports, right? Mm -hmm. uh, iconic watch. Uh, yes. Fi $520 to $1,000. If if it's in as good a condition as it's in, I mean this this is seems it seems reasonable to me. It's not like it it's you know it's not like this you know oh we want fifteen thousand dollars for the Seiko Five right. from nineteen fifty. You're like no. <laughs> yeah, I see a lot worse prices asked for on eBay uh, for for these things. You know, depending on where they're coming from. But an example to to go to that I'll pick on that I notice pretty fast is the uh, it's um it's lot seven twenty, it's the uh, bullhead. It's a black bullhead or blue bullhead. They're called both things on a strap and that's fine. And it's got a reasonable price associated with it. And what you can do is you can click those. I was trying to figure out navigating bottoms auction. You could click them and you can get, um, you can see who the specialist is and then you can see some description about it. And then you can click view condition report. And then it took me a little bit to get that to work. You, you only get the condition report if you're registered with Bonhams, not necessarily with the auction, but if you have an account with them. And I do. So I was able to get the condition report. Uh, it's a couple pages long and it kind of goes through kind of a little bit of the history. And then it goes uh, movement, the movement and chronograph and working condition to time cataloging, which is important to know if they're running or not. Would recommend a service, which makes sense. Um, and, and then it says under the loop, the dial might have kept in a moist area for a period and blue subdials with a faint yellowish discoloration. So, okay, they're going through some, some detail. This is good. And then it says the hour markers have signs of later restoration to a dark grayish color. Okay. Although the watch has the above mentioned condition issues, the dial is very original and underneath the dial stamp 67, which means it was made in July of uh, 1976. So this is actually fairly important because Seiko uh, stamps all their dials, mm. at least they used to. And, and it's stamped the same way they do the, the case back. So the first digit is the year and the second digit is the month that it was made. Mm -hmm. Usually for a complete, like, you know, if you can, if you can uh, show paperwork for it, if you've done a restoration, uh, having a watch dial within a month or two of the back date is important because that means that dial came, most, you know, most likely came with the watch. But the interesting part is that the case back 
on that is from, uh, it says 702446. So seven is the year, so it's 77. And it's O is for October. This dial is, is stamped like that, but it's not original to the watch. And they, and, they, and they didn't really spell that out other than saying, this is the dial, this is the date on the dial, this is the date on the watchback. And so only someone with your expertise would be able to say like, yeah, so nobody, nobody dug in to the watch dial pile from two years ago. You yeah. <laughs> and, and, but the other thing that I find fascinating is how would they know that the dial stamps 67? You have to literally take the watch apart. Yeah. Oh, completely that's a great apart. point. That's a great point. Unless they've got a, a, a restoration receipt or, or, or pictures, which when I have my restorations done, I, I have pictures on, on the cloud. If anybody, if I ever sell them, you know, I have all this record, but I don't know how they know it's that's from July of 76. I wouldn't even have thought of that. Uh, that part bothers me. The second part is I'm looking at the dial and that that's not an original Seiko dial. It still doesn't, something's not right with this to me looking at it do they show you todd once you're signed up do they show you more than the one because they have two pictures here for us in the pubs the public right the public <laughs> so the, so public they, yeah so they yeah. they they show you more pictures nope i got two i oh, got okay. the case back and oh, okay. i got the yeah. front of the watch okay so you can I, zoom in you can I mean, but i don't i don't really see what they're talking about with that yellow discoloration uh, um, let me go I mean, to that, that too. Super let me, light. I mean, I guess. Let me click but, it again because you, know. you get. You're right. You can zoom. And I mean, it's I a decently high res picture, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't see any. Um, you can oh, you can grab it with the little hand and you can move it around. Yeah. Don't see the yellow discoloration. Yeah, I, mean, I that, see the hands some look, marks. The hands look, you know, not rough. The hands but they have look... been repainted. Oh, Big okay. Time. Oh, okay. Big time repainted. Mm. They're not the right color, and you can when you really zoom in, it looks like somebody took a brush. <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> I've seen somebody do this to a car. By the way, when I was going, to, somebody actually used a brush. And yeah, roll car. Yeah, We've all yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like well, you want paint? I got paint. I got some paint. <laughs> That's right. We can get this done this afternoon. Right, exactly. You want Have all it. the same color? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Having rattle canned um, a lot of a car. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you and me both at our early racing days, but. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't do that. To, uh, don't do that to a vintage Seiko bullhead chronograph from the 1970s. I'm looking Jesus. at it, and uh, the hands have been. But I think they say that the hands may have been repainted on this, and that's fine. The dial, but the dial doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't look like it's the right color. Um, I mine my. I have a black one, a black bullhead that's been that's been restored by one of the experts, and unfortunately, it's go it back in for repair. Something happened, but so I don't have it in front of me to do a comparison. That's how I usually do this. Uh, when you get, it's like, you know, standards of measurement, <laughs> you say, okay, I know this watch is right. So I'll, I'll compare the one I have. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. It's just, it's just not, uh, you know, the information they provided is, is weird. And the uh, dial on this is weird. And when you see repainted hands, that's a sign. Number one, somebody's been in there. And number two, you know, whatever else have they done? It's amazing as well. This auction is, there's, this gen gentleman or, or lady, whoever the collector was, I mean, they've. It, it appears as if they've cleaned out every Seiko they've ever owned because we're even talking a lot of modern ones, which these are still readily available on Amazon. It, it seems mm -hmm. odd that they would auction these ones off that are still available for purchase. I mean, there's a there's what looks like almost a brand new 
grand seiko diver mm, in the mix too. as well so yeah. i don't know if the if somebody's been going through a divorce or, or something something's untowards happened but this is a this looks like a complete collection dump out and you wonder whether why they've done that because does it cloud maybe some of the more specialist pieces but i had a question about i don't know if you know this Todd, but for the the olympic 64 it seems to have a fairly unique unique to Seiko date complication where it's almost two separate um, separate numbers. I've not seen anything like that on a vintage or a it, it's something you would see on maybe IWC or I think Glashute do this where the, where the date is two separate wheels it looks like almost. So that's not a date. Oh right. Yeah that's you're right it does look like a, a long A or so that's a counter that's like a lap counter Oh, okay. That's what the other pusher does. It um, does look like that date complication. I thought, it does. I thought it so too. It's just I'll like be, a long yeah. date. Yeah, like it the 3rd of August or something. Yeah, but then there's right. no separation, is there? That's what I was thinking. Right. I was like, oh, it's always got 3rd of August, but it's not. There's no separation, so it does say 38 on it. So it's part of the chronograph because it looks like it's got four pushers on it anyway. Yeah, it does. And one of them activates that. I don't know the exact operation of this, but one of them activates that counter so you can keep track of the laps. Oh, I see. Right. I see. Oh, so that's like a lap. So it's yeah. like a lap counter. A, wow. I believe. I'm pretty sure. It. I'm pretty sure yeah. that's what it is. Interesting. It's a certainly a good looking piece and it looks to have a very unique, um, almost a, like a Rolex-esque um, mm-hmm. metal bracelet to it. Um, so, uh, one of those sort of elasticated ones. I forget the name of the brand that does it, but... Um, Spinel. Yes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, this is... Uh, uh, milestone watch for Seiko. Yeah, you're right. The band is not does not look like what you would expect it to be. But uh, but yeah, this is a milestone watch. This is um, Seiko spent a lot of money and a lot of time getting all the um, watches set up for for the Olympics that they had to have all the all the different timers and different types of timers, different types of stopwatches. There's a whole there's there's probably a couple different like a dozen different varieties of stopwatches they use. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have one from 72. I have a cycle stopwatch and it was, you know, that style was being used for later on for another Olympic games, but yeah. For 1964 also, there's no, there's no computers there. There's no you know, <laughs> right. electronic timing. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe the late sixties, early seventies, I'd say for the Olympics, mm. I'd have to look. Those hands look to be straight off a modern Grand Seiko as well. The sword hands are they yeah there's a there's a great grammar of design with this with this model early grand seiko was also the same type of grammar of design if you if you, you know, pull up a, an early gs model uh, you'll see the same family resemblance it's really really excellent that's one thing that seiko is has done well over the years is maintaining their grammar of design todd is there any on there i'm interested to know this as well with it being such a specialist seiko auction really you never other than this olympic one is there ones that you really never see is there some really unique ones that either aren't well documented or they might have become a bit of an urban myth i know some of the, the <laughs> early rolex like military ones are a bit of a myth aren't they that uh, they ever, if they ever existed or not yeah that's uh that's funny so the seiko community it's it's weird there's there's religious factions within the seiko community and it's funny how that happens but uh, and, and so over the years, Seiko has not done a great job of necessarily documenting, um, you know, what they've put together. And in fact, I have a book that was 
put out by a, a, a watch enthusiast slash watchmaker in Japan, and uh, whose name is uh, Sadeo Ruggo, and I'm going to really do a horrible job on the name, R-Y-U-G-O. And he put together uh, a book called The History of the Seiko Speed Timer. And uh, you can't just go out and buy this. You have to actually order it from him. And it's a little pricey. It's neat, though, is it, it inserts a lot, of, um, a lot of pictures. You can see a lot of movement pictures. It talks about some of the rare varieties. It uh, has a, a bit of a, uh, some interviews with some of the um, original, like uh, the, the five sports speed timer. So this is a 6139 designer, Mr. Uh, Tashikiko Oki. And I'm going to, again, do a horrible job of, of pronouncing the name. But it goes through, you know, some of the original monopusher uh, Seiko built, uh, one of the first chronographs, and goes in through some of the rare ones. But getting back to your question, the reason I, I preface this is that uh, there's been varieties of, like the chronographs, for example, that uh, Seiko enthusiasts said didn't exist. These are aftermarket editions. And one of them is... Uh, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the gold dial Pogue. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a blue dials out there and everyone knows about those, but there's also silver dials mm. and the silver dials were, there's one camp that said the silver dials were fakes. You know, somebody put on a, these dials or, or maybe Seiko did it for some reason if they went in for service. And, um, and so this was a, a running debate for a long time until finally somebody came up with some evidence that yes, Seiko in the Asian region put out, put out these silver dials. And now the silver dials are very sought after. They're very expensive. I have, um, I have one, no text one, meaning it was a later silver dial. I have one that says resist on it back when you could still say the water was resistant and, uh, like or rather old, like, before wait, post proof. Yeah, before right? proof, right. Yeah, right. Right, right post proof. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the resistant one is very rare and it's currently at a watch, uh, one of my watch makers in Europe that uh, does some of my restorations for me. Uh, and he's going through that. I bought it from Venezuela um, during this COVID economy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he's doing that. So, so eventually the community came around. One of the most recent things is the concept of the Aussie Pogue. So the Aussie Pogue is a, it's basically a gold dial watch that has a black indicator ring on the inside, the chapter ring. Oh and, yeah. Okay. Yes. And, and, and there's been debates going on since, since, you know, I don't know, uh, Adam and Eve left the garden that, uh, that, well, since that it went just, into space, since it went into space, <laughs> it into space <laughs> that at least since it went into space, that that's a, a mod. Somebody just put a black indicator ring. Well, it turns out, and we've had black and white, uh, uh, from, uh, Singapore sellers. We've had black and white uh, ads that show what appears to be this special Pogue version. And then just recently somebody found a color catalog that shows a black ring from 1970. And sure enough, at another restorer, I bought off auction very reasonably priced. I've been doing a lot of interesting COVID bidding on, I'm calling yeah. COVID bidding on uh, eBay, getting a lot of really good ones. Uh, he has it. And I, I found a proof, a 1970 proof gold Pogue with a black inner ring. And we did the research on it. And sure enough, this is a proof Aussie Pogue. And I'm very excited. So when I get it back, I'm going to have a fairly rare Watch. So anyhow, this, but this constantly goes on. The Sago community is so funny. It's like a, it's like a, a big extended family that argues things all the time, but uh, it's never boring. Let's put it that way. It kind of points out two things. I mean, first I want to say uh, like, and they have a couple of these JDMs. I mean, that green, that green turtle yeah. and these different. Green turtle's nice. Right. These different like JDM only 
designs that were, you know, were released, we're talking 2017, 2018. So I could definitely see, you know, without, without documentation, you go back to a pre-internet era, or you lose some of the documentation. I mean, 20 years from now, you could have a bunch of people being like, they never made a green turtle. And you're like, well, they did, but they only offered it in the Asian markets or whatever. So right. that's, it's kind of the first thing. And then the, the second thing uh, that I think, you know, that I think you're really highlighting, Todd, is if you're going to get into collecting, you know, these pieces or, or any sort of piece. I mean, you mentioned a book, you mentioned the community. What other, mm-hmm. what other sort of things would you, you know, so I'm a, I'm a, you know, I, I'm super interested in these particular, you know, what, what am I doing to get my information and, and so that I'm not, so that I'm not walking into these auctions, like, you know, completely, completely unknown. You have a community that you sort of rely on too, right? right? There's a community that you can rely on. It doesn't matter what you collect. The um, I'm also a Omega guy and the Omega community is, is uh, good about this too, because if you want to buy a vintage speed timer, you're spending a whole lot of money. Uh, so you better get it right. And there's a, a good vintage community to help you out in terms of determining, you know, the origins and, 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 and such values associated with like, let's say getting a, uh, I'm sorry, not a, a speed timer, speed master. Mm-hmm. Seikos are speed timers. That's <laughs> right. That's speed right. Masters. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're right. You need to really get uh, kind of submerge, uh, immerse yourself is a better word to use, right? Into whatever watch uh, types, uh, manufacturers that you're interested in, especially if it's more modern ones, the, um, the fakes, out there, the they call them the, what the super fakes. Yeah. Uh, if you go to if you go to what Watchbox, you can see them compare a fake Rolex to a real one, or they had a Seamaster, a fairly modern American Seamaster, and it's scary. You put them side by side, and you can barely tell yeah. which one is the fake. I, and so that's that's, but has more terror to me than doing what I'm doing. Yeah, and I think I think sometimes we we you know I feel like we in the price points that we talk about for our watches you know i think sometimes we feel like oh well we're safe because no one's gonna you know no one's gonna make a copy of that but uh i've seen uh oris super fakes and i've seen you know i mean you know we're talking you know two two thousand dollar watch that they're just making an absolute duplicate of it's a lot worse than that the seiko fives right so you're talking hundred dollar watches they're faked all the time they're coming out of um india primarily china india that part of asia and I see them all the time. The uh, Seiko Alpinists, the green Alpinists. Mm-hmm. A lot of those showed up on eBay not long ago. They were all fakes. Oh. Uh, Seiko Turtles, Patty Turtles uh, are faked crazy. And you think, why are you faking a what you know, a $500, $300, $200, mm-hmm. $100 mm-hmm. watch? But there's, there's money in it. I, I don't understand, but somehow there's there's money in doing well, it. Well, yeah, I bought that fake Paddy off uh, w- yeah, uh, Wish for sixty nine dollars, right. so they that's must right. be knocking them out at twenty. And f- if they were knocking that watch out at twenty dollars, they did a good job of it, and with the Seiko movement in it as well. I mean, the dial was the dial was the was the dead giveaway that it yeah. wasn't right. But in terms of, I mean, the, even the bracelet fitted my actual turtle that I have, which I thought was. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Todd, while you've been doing your, your research, we had a conversation about this just before the podcast. You, you found out something pretty interesting about auction houses that actually took me and Chris by surprise a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of doing my, my research as a result of this, of this bottoms, uh, you know, not debacle, but maybe it was, was the fact that, uh, you know, when you when you think that you're you're going to these fairly prestigious auction houses and, and uh, what they're selling is is uh what you think it is 
it seems that, uh, and this is you know across the board in many ways that that auction houses don't necessarily do the due diligence uh, that they should do to verify the authenticity of what they're selling necessarily. Hmm. And so there's this really cool, uh, on terms of a, a write-up on a blog to watch. And this was done a little while ago, November 29th, uh, 2014 by Ariel Adams. And he goes in through uh, 10 things you should know about wristwatch auctions. And so I learned a ton about that. And one of the things is that, you know, when you see uh, these big auction houses, they're usually trying to show provenance in some way. Like this is, what did they sell recently? Was it Albert Einstein's Omega uh, went up? Uh, it was, you know, rather regular watch, but it was one of those things. But it went for a couple hundred thousand dollars because Albert Einstein owned it, right? And of course, we all know about, uh, you know, the Daytona, that Paul Newman Daytona that went up for, uh, was it $12 million or something like that? is that they don't necessarily do due diligence in terms of uh, the provenance. So the provenance is not guaranteed, generally speaking, according to this article. And you know, claims about ownership, I'm quoting from it, uh, provenance is supported by various types of documentation, such as receipts, letters, pictures, and more. A close examination of the evidence uh, about a timepiece is proclaimed ownership is really important. But this story says, the full story is, in the worst instances, the auction house is lying about it. Mm. I'm not by any means saying that that this is what's going on here with uh, bottoms by any or, means. But I'm saying or, in general, yeah. what they're saying about these auction houses is that. Or, or omitting, or just omitting, yeah, that like we don't have this documentation, but we're presenting it as if it's official. You know. Right. And in, in terms of the um, Bonhams auction, I had to download the condition report separately. So it says, you know, you know, and it talks about it. And you ought to see, read the disclaimers in these condition reports. It's like you're, you know, it's like every you know, lawyer on all sides <laughs> of the ocean decided to get together right. and come up and make sure that we can't possibly be sued if for some reason this item is not as, as that. it turns out that there's a problem. It says, you know, you have to do your own due diligence. So I guess the, the moral of the story is that um, can't just assume that what you're seeing is correct. You have to do your own due diligence. And to your point, you know, there's, there's literary license. Uh, sometimes they obfuscate important facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and even this article even says they even lie to potential buyers. Again, I'm not saying this about bottoms necessarily. It's something to means. watch out for. Yeah. It's something to watch out for. So I was a little, I'm thinking, you know, I've, you see these auctions. Um, I know somebody who's very well known who works at a very reputable auction house and I don't believe that they would ever engage in this by any means, but you know, it just, it's buyer beware out there. It's caveat emptor, no matter if you're buying off eBay, which we all know again, it's the wild west, or if you're, you're relying on, a uh, auction that has a curator every single watch lot has a name associated so and so looked at this and this is their you know they whether they just looked at it and said yeah that's a seiko or whether they <laughs> or really spent some time or whether they have the expertise to really understand the watch is is unknown that was really interesting todd thanks so much for joining us on the podcast this week thank you very much for having me again enjoyed it very much chris and sam if you're wanting to find out more todd's a very active member on our casual watch talk facebook group so head on over there to continue the conversation as always we really appreciate you listening and we'll see you next time on casual watch talk thanks guys bye